Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. You can find that in the Black Bibles around you on page 992. Again, that is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Feel free to follow along this morning. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the elders here at Trailhead, and uh, it is my privilege this morning to be with you and get to open up the Word and start a new series. So we're looking over the next couple weeks at elders and what it means to be an elder and all things elder-related. In doing so, we're getting into an area of theology that's known as ecclesiology. Ecclesiology just means the doctrine or the study of the church. So we're going to be talking about the church. And when I say that word, church, it brings up in all of our minds very specific ideas. But here's the thing. Many of us have very different ideas when we hear the word church. But I would argue that what you think about when you think about church and what that word means to you can shape your experience, not just your experience of church in and of itself, but your experience of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so I think it's really important as we start out this series that we all just kind of get on the same page. What does church mean? What is church? And the more you say the word church, the weirder that word sounds. Church. 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 No. Um, What is church? When you hear the word church, a lot of people, when they hear the word church, they think of a building, right? This building is the church. Where is Trailhead Church? It's over there next to the bus stop. That's, you know, you drive around, there's a church, and there's a church, and I live just down the block from the church. The church is the building. That's how a lot of us think about church, and we say, I'm going to go to church. I have to run by the church. The church is this edifice. Other people, when they think about church, they think about this thing we're doing this morning. The church is this, this service, this event, and we come together, and we, we praise, and we worship, and we have preaching, and we do all the different things that we do. And, and you even hear people use phrases like how we do church, because church is, in their minds, it's an event. It's a thing you do. Uh, still other people, when they hear the word church, they think of the institution, an institution. It's, it's leadership, it's structure, right? And there's the people who represent it, who speak for it, who, who determine what other people should believe and what they should do. You hear phrases like, well, well, the church says, or the church's position on this is, 
And I'm not saying that necessarily any of those three things, that the church is the building or the service or the institution is, is on its own completely and totally incorrect. But here's what I want you to understand. When the New Testament uses the word church, when you see in your English translation of the Bible the word church, it's not a reference to any of those things. The, the word that is translated in your English Bible as church is a Greek word. The Greek word was ekklesia, and it had a specific meaning. And when Jesus said it, and when the apostles who wrote the Bible said it, they were talking about something very specific. When they said the word church, when they said ekklesia, they were talking not about a building, and not about an event, and not about an institution. They were talking about people. Because ecclesia means a group of people. A called out assembly of people coming together for a purpose. When Jesus said church, he was talking about a whole bunch of people who were gathered together for a specific reason. And when we talk about church, and as we go through this series, when we reference the church, what we're talking about is not this building. And we're not talking, when we talk about church, about what we're doing together on a Sunday morning or on a Saturday night. We are talking about us, about me and about you, about those of us who have come together with the common goal and with the commonality of knowing and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and by trusting in him, having been called by him, coming together for the purpose of worshiping him, of leading others to know him and to follow him. But we are together the church. And this building could be destroyed tomorrow, and we could cease to meet together on Sunday mornings, But as long as we come together in some way to love each other, to live with each other, to speak the gospel to each other, we continue to be the church. The church is not what we want it to be. It's not what we've created in our minds that it should be. Church is us, and we're together because God called us together. God established and created the church. God gets to say what church is, and what it looks like. And so as we look at scripture, and we ask, so what does this thing, this group, us, what do we as the church look like together? We submit to whatever he says, because it's his group. We are his people. As the church, we belong to him. And so we follow where he leads. And part of, part of what we see in the New Testament Part of God's plan for the church is that he raises up and puts in place people to lead the church. And that's a part of how God has designed the church to function, with leadership. And there are two specific groups of people that the New Testament talks about who lead in the church. And the best way to refer to them, the words the New Testament uses to refer to them, are elders and deacons. Deacons specifically are people that God has called to lead through their service in the functioning, the day-to-day, kind of the, the, the nuts and bolts of what ministry looks like in the church. Elders are the group that he has specifically called to have oversight over 
all of the church. And whereas deacons lead in very specific ministry roles, elders are called to lead over the whole church. As you read through the New Testament, you see several words that are used to refer to this role, the role of an elder. You'll see the word bishop, you'll see overseer, that's the one we see today. Sometimes you'll see the word shepherd, and you might maybe see the word pastor. The most common word we use to refer to this role is pastor, in the American church anyway. Um, Ironically, it's the least used word, English word, in the New Testament. Um, Depending on your translation, and different translations might uh, translate these words in different ways, but according to my study this week, the word pastor occurs in the New Testament twice, and once it's not a noun, it's a verb, it's the job that the person's doing. But that's the one we use the most. Um, Which there's nothing wrong with that, okay? And I'm not, like, I'm just saying when we think a lot of times pastor, a lot of times what we're thinking of is what the New Testament more often refers to as an elder. But all those jobs, all those titles, all those roles, bishop, overseer, pastor, shepherd, are all descriptive of what an elder does. And as we go through this series, we will get more into each of those titles and what that looks like in function. But before we go on, I want to pause right here. Because the more specific we start to get about where we're going with this, we're going to be talking about elders. There's very, a, a very real danger that you're ready to check out because you're saying, okay, well, I'm not an elder. I don't think I want to be an elder ever, so I don't really see how this applies to me. The church has elders. That's great. I'm good with it. Let's move on. So before we go any further, here's what I want to do. Um, I'm going to do this a little backwards. Normally, this is the end of the sermon. Normally, we preach through, here's what the scripture says, here's how it applies, and then at the end, we say, and this is what you could do coming out of this. I'm going to put that application piece right up front, not just for this sermon, but for the whole series. Here are three things. Regardless of where you are on the spectrum of feeling like you may be an elder or not or whatever, here are three things that I'd like for you to pray and to think about and to ask yourself, three questions to ask yourselves as we go through this series, okay? Number one, I would like you to ask, are you called? Are you called to lead? Are you called possibly to be an elder? As we go through this series, is God specifically putting in your heart a desire to follow him with a specific role in the church, a specific type of ministry? Maybe that's elder, maybe that's as a deacon, Maybe it's as a church planter going out from this church. Maybe it's to serve going out, out of, even out of this country to serve overseas or in another place as a missionary. But is God calling you? Because God, we believe God can put a specific desire in a person's heart, and this is a lot of what we're actually going to talk about today. We refer to it as a calling. And is God calling you? Is he speaking to you specifically about a specific role that you could be fulfilling within this church. We believe that calling is is a combination. It's a combination of of competence. You can do the work that needs to be done. Character, you're marked by certain attributes in your life of being a Christ follower, and also a desire. You want to do it. Again, we're going to talk more about that this morning specifically, but if you believe that God's placing that desire in your heart. And as we're going through this series and God is pressing on you, I want you to follow me in this way. 
I would encourage you, don't run from it. Lean into it. If you feel called specifically to serve God as an elder at Trailhead Church, part of the process that we have set up begins with what we call a self-nomination, which means, and again, we're going to talk about this today, but when you feel that you have the desire to do the work of an elder, that it begins with you saying, I believe God's calling me in this way. And we've actually set up, um, there's a form online that you can fill out to self-nominate yourself for eldership. You can go to trailheadonline.org elder. That should be really easy to remember, okay? And you can fill out that form and, and we can start that process of praying with you about that. So number one, are you called? Number two, whether you're called or not or whatever, if you're a part of this church, if you're a part of this body of believers, I want to ask, will you pray? Will you pray for this church, for Trailhead, and specifically, will you pray for the leaders of this church? As, as leaders in this church, we know that there are so many people who are part of this church who pray for us on a regular basis, and that is so encouraging. It's so helpful. And not just in the emotional sense of like knowing people care and are praying, but just in the sense that we truly believe that prayer makes a huge difference. And to know and believe that there are people praying gives us confidence that as we follow and seek to know God's will, that he is with us. And he's with us because of your prayers. So we, we are so thankful for that. Would you pray for our current leaders, the current elders, the current deacons at Trailhead, and also the future elders, the future deacons. Our church is growing. It's growing so much. And it's exciting. And it's also intimidating. And as the more it grows, the more all of us who are, who are serving and leading are, are stepping into uncharted territory constantly. And we constantly have new decisions and new situations that we've never faced before. And so we are so thankful as you pray for us and for others who will come alongside and help to bear the burden of leadership. So please, please continue to pray for us. And then the third question I'd like for you to ask as we go through this is, how are you growing as a follower of Christ? Again, a part of being called to be an elder is asking if you see the characteristics that God describes as marking the maturity, the spiritual maturity of someone he's called to lead. Well, regardless of whether you've been called to leadership or not, following Jesus looks like growing in your spiritual maturity. And so as we talk about here's what it looks like to be an elder, all of us, regardless of of role or title or anything like that, can be asking, am I growing in that way? Am I maturing in that way? Is my life as a follower of Jesus marked by those characteristics? And if not, why? Is there something in my life that's preventing me from growing spiritually? So as we go into this series... Uh, If you would, keep those questions in mind and just be asking yourself as we think through it. This morning, I want to ask a very specific question. So we read the first seven verses, but I just want to focus on verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. There are three letters in the New Testament, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, which we refer to as pastoral epistles. And it simply means this, The Apostle Paul, who had a really different kind of a role, he was like a church planter, leader. He would go travel around in the first century. He would travel around 
Um, and he would start churches in a region or in an area in a specific city. But he would start the church, but instead of staying there as the elder, he would raise up other leaders within those churches, and then he would move on somewhere else and start a new church. And he just moved around doing that, and he would put in place these other elders to serve in those churches. And two of them, uh, a guy named Timothy and a guy named Titus, he later on, after he'd left, wrote letters to them, talking to them about what it looks like to lead in the church. And we have those letters here in the New Testament, and, and within those letters, he talks to them about raising up other elders within their churches and so it forms for us some of the most concentrated, most specific teaching on what it looks like to be an elder, and specifically the qualifications of who can and who should serve as an elder. And the first qualification, kind of the, the, the foundation, the starting point, and what I want to look at with you this morning is this. Verse number one of 1 Timothy 3 says, the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So here's what Paul is saying. Number one, if somebody's going to be an elder, they should want to be an elder. If somebody's going to lead in the church, that leadership should come from a desire for leadership. Aspires, desires, both words that say, this is something you want to do. Nobody serves as an elder, nobody serves as a deacon because they're forced to it. Nobody drags their feet into it and says, I guess I have to. As soon as you can find somebody else, though, I'm done. That's not God's desire. That's not God's design for leadership in the church. God's design for leadership in the church is for those who lead to lead out of a willingness to lead. But I want to be really careful, okay, I get a little bit languagey on this one because we can get tripped up on this. Where he says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, here's what he's not saying. Paul is not saying here, look for people who want the title elder. He's not saying, look for people who want the job, meaning the position of an elder. In fact, the phrase, the office of overseer, in our English translation, is a single word in the original Greek. It's a single word that means, and it's hard, and that's why it's um, translated as as four words in in our Bible, it's a word that means the job or the role or the, the, the act of doing, of being an overseer. In fact, a a true straight-up translation would be something like overseership, but that's not a word, so we don't translate it that way. But what Paul is saying is, if you want to do what it means to be an elder, if you want to do the work of an elder, if you have a desire to do overseeing, in other words, if you have an aspire to lead, if you have a desire to sacrifice, to do what needs to be done, that's a noble task. And see that he says it's a noble task, it's a noble job, it's work, it's not the position and it's not the title. Okay? If you've thought, I might like to be an elder, or I might like to be a deacon, because then I'd be an elder. 
I'd be a deacon. I'd have the title. I'd be respected. People would look at me and be like, that guy, he's the guy, right? If you're like, I want a name tag that says elder, and then when people are here, they'd be like, oh, you're an elder? And, and I could be like, yeah, I am. If that's your desire, if your goal is to have position, if your goal is to have authority, if you want to be in charge, if you look around and think, man, if I was running this church, there'd be some things different around here. Or if you just want to be in on the inside, I know those guys at those meetings, they know stuff, and I want to know stuff. If that's what's driving you, that's not the call to eldership. Eldership is not about being on the inside. It's not about having power. It's not about having respect. In fact, if those things do motivate you, and let me pause, oh, oh, let me pause, okay? Um, I need to be careful here. None of us, elders, deacons, whoever, none of us, because we live in, in a fallen and broken world, and we are fallen and broken individuals. We are fallen and broken individuals who are in the process, by God's grace, of being shaped into his image. None of us has 100% pure motivations in anything, okay? Please don't hear me as saying, elders are people who have figured everything out, and they're perfect, and if you're not perfect, forget it, okay? If God's standard for leadership in the church was perfection, we would have no leaders, none whatsoever, okay? Elders, are, deacons are just as broken as you. We recognize our brokenness. But we cannot approach the work of serving in the church as an attempt to find meaning and to fulfill the emptiness inside of us. When you have that strong driving desire for success, for title, for position, for respect, for authority, that's coming from an emptiness from a longing inside of you. And that longing can only be truly fulfilled through Christ. Through the goodness of what he did for you. And the good news of the gospel. And if you go anywhere else seeking to have that fulfilled, including serving in the church, it will leave you empty. You will not find the joy, the fulfillment, the satisfaction that you think you want. You may get authority. You may even get respect. But it won't fulfill you. That fulfillment, that affirmation, that true peace that you're longing for only comes, only comes through a relationship with Jesus. Not through a position and not through a title. The mark of being called into ministry is not a desire for authority or for position or for a title. If you desire to do the work of an elder, if you desire to do the work of a deacon, and you would be happy and content to do it without the title, then it is possible God is calling you. But if in your mind you would only do the work if you had the position, you're not being called. So why would anyone want to be an elder? And that's the question I want to talk about this morning. Because being an elder is work. It's a task. Paul says it right here. And it's not easy. 
It's sacrifice. It's giving up time. It's giving up effort. It's bearing the weight. It's bearing the weight of the church, the church being these people, us people, all of us together. And, and to be an elder means that you enter into the pain, you enter into the suffering, you enter into the joy, you enter into the celebration, you enter into all of it with the whole church. And that's an incredible weight to bear. Why would anybody want to do that? A couple years ago, uh, we were on our way to church, and, oh, see, I did that. It's on our way to church. That's not right, is it? No, okay. Um, we were on our way here one Sunday, and uh, one of my kids said, this was a couple years ago, I wasn't an elder at the time, I wasn't in the process or anything, and one of my kids said, hey, Dad, how does somebody become an elder? And I was like, well, and I started talking about the process at Trailhead, and it starts with this self-nomination, and then there's a process of, you know, you pray about it a lot, and we, you go through, there's books that you read, and you write papers, and you spend time with the elders, and a lot of conversations, and meetings, and just this long process of testing and character and competence and all these things. And, and then at the end, and the, the church has a voice of whether they, you know, affirm that. And then people are installed. And I explain the whole process. And there was a pause. And she said, well, I was going to say you should be an elder, but that sounds really boring. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say being an elder is boring. But it is a weight. And there's sacrifice involved. And it's not easy, so why would anybody want to do it? And the simple answer, and the reason anybody would be called, and the reason God may call you to serve him in this way, is the reason we sacrifice for anything. The reason we sacrifice for anything or anyone is out of love. Elders are called to lead because of love. Every time you sacrifice, you, you do it out of a love for someone or something. Think about this. If you're, if you're a parent, remember back before you were a parent, before you had kids, and you looked at other people who were parents, and you thought, why? What, what are they doing? Why are they doing that? Why do these people, like, why would anybody in their right mind ever want to do what parents do? Why would they give up everything and, and, and stop sleeping and stop functioning like normal human beings and, and make everything more difficult in their life? Why would anybody do that? And if you aren't a parent, you probably still think that, and you're right. But if you are a parent, now you go, oh, I understand it's because I love those people. I love my kids. And so I will give up and I will sacrifice and I will set aside what I think is best for me. I will set it aside because of what I believe is best for them. Because I love them. And that's what we're talking about. To be an elder, to be called as an elder, means to be so full of love that sacrifice seems natural. Now, when I talk specifically here about being filled with love, I'm talking about love in three very specific ways, or love for three very specific 
things. Number one, a man who's called to be an elder, a man who has a true desire to lead to do the work of an elder will do so out of a love, number one, for Jesus. An elder is a, is a person who is so overwhelmed by the grace of God in his own life that he sees no other natural or logical response except to love deeply in return. Again, um, elders are not sinless. In fact, in some ways, people who are called to leadership may be more aware of their sinfulness. As I grow, and you may have had this experience as well, the longer I go on in the Christian life, and the more I, quote, mature as a Christian, the more aware I become of how sinful, how truly deep my own depravity runs. Every time I think I've conquered some area of sin in my life, I see five more that I didn't even notice before. And there's this perpetual state of feeling like, God, there is nothing I can do to make myself right. But the good news is that's, that's exactly where God wants us to be. You see, Jesus came specifically because we are all so deeply messed up. <clears throat> and we recognize how messed up we are, and all of us, all of us have within us a desire to fix ourselves. And the harder we try, the more we recognize that we are incapable on our own of becoming better, of becoming more righteous. And we get into that cycle of self-righteousness and self-condemnation where I want to try harder, and then I realize I can't, and I just think I'm awful, and then sometimes I think I'm doing okay, and whatever it is, I'm just pushing harder and harder and harder on the gas pedal, and I'm getting further and further away from where I really want to be. But Jesus came... And he lived a perfect life, the life we all should have lived. Everything we've done wrong, he did right. And then he allowed himself to be arrested and tortured and murdered to bear the punishment that we deserve. He took all of the the pain and the suffering that I deserve for my sin on himself willingly, out of his love. In his grace, took it on himself, and then he rose again, triumphant over sin and over death, so that now I, by trusting in him and trusting in that sacrifice, can have that victory over sin. I don't have to be ruled by my sin anymore. And I don't have to spend my life trying harder and harder and harder and feeling more and more of a failure every time I don't measure up. Because in Christ and through his sacrifice, when God looks at me, he sees me as measuring up. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Christ did for me. That God looks at me and he sees Jesus. And as somebody, as somebody who tries really hard to earn people's approval, 
as somebody who is constantly wondering, am I measuring up? Am I good enough? To know that I can come to the feet of a Savior whose love for me is not based on my performance. That I can worship a God who doesn't look at me and weigh my goods and my bads and see if the goods outweigh the bads and how am I doing today. But rather, I come to a God who looks at me and sees the sacrifice of Jesus and the peace that comes from that and the comfort that comes from that and the release of constantly trying and never succeeding. The release from that is so overwhelming. And the more time I focus, the more time I spend thinking about, feeling the affection that Jesus has shown to me through his sacrifice, the more that that affection stirs in my own heart. And the more natural it feels to me to just turn to him in praise, to worship him, to love him. Love for Jesus is not something you can manufacture. I can't just decide, I'm going to love Jesus more today. Because all that is, is just adding on another task, just like all the others. Love for Jesus is a response to his love for you and for me. But when you are fully overwhelmed and convinced of his great grace for you, and when you recognize how far down you are and how high he is and how much love it took for him to bridge that gap. You can't imagine anything else you'd rather do but follow him. So the first mark and the first driving force of a desire to be an elder is a love, a deep, deep love for Jesus. But it goes beyond that. Because as we love Jesus, we naturally begin to love the people Jesus loves. An elder is not just someone who loves Jesus, it's someone who loves the church. Again, the church being the people, not the building, not the institution, the people. An elder loves the church and wants to serve, not to make himself known, but to do what is best for those who are in the church with him. Jesus' model of leadership is love. That's how Jesus led. He led by loving. He led by sacrificing. He led by serving. You cannot lead in a church unless you love the people you're leading. You can, you can try. I mean, you can do it. You can make decisions. You can go to meetings. You can work on a budget. You can plan out services and events. You can do all those things. But unless you love the people you're trying to serve, it will be empty and meaningless, and it, it just won't work. You'll get burnt out. You'll be exhausted. The people you're leading won't want to follow. To lead in the church first requires that you love the church. Now, how... Can you love such an, um, let's say, assorted 
diverse, imperfect group of people. Because we're not talking about a manufactured love, just like we said with our love for Christ. We cannot say, so now I am going to love the church more. Now I am going to love people more. Again, you can't create it. What we're talking about is a supernatural kind of love. An actual affection for a whole bunch of people who are just as messed up as you are. Because you're, you're really messed up too, right? And you recognize that. And when you, again, seep yourself in the gospel and understand the depth of your own depravity and the goodness of God's grace, and then you look out at others and you recognize, hey, they're messed up, so am I. And we all, all of us, are just recipients of the grace of a good, good God. And every single person in this room, every single person who's a part of this church needs exactly the same amount of grace that I needed. That all of us come absolutely empty. That all of us are lost, completely lost without the mercy of God. That all of us are totally equal at the feet of Jesus. And in seeing that, And in recognizing that it's only by God's love that you have a relationship with him, and it's only by God's love that anybody does, and that he loves everyone as much as he loves you, that his love for you pours out to others, and that you stop seeing people as problems that need to be managed, you start seeing them as others just like you, made in the image of God struggling, limping towards holiness, all of us with our own diverse sins, problems, joys, successes. And as you lean into God's love for you, it overflows as a love for his people. And when you genuinely feel affection for the people in the church, that goes beyond just, I love Jesus, and I love what he's done for me, but I also love what he's done for all of us. And I love that he's drawn us together. And I want to serve you. And I want what is best for you. And I want you to know him more. Even as I learn to love him more, I want you to love him more. And that's a part of the call. And that's a part of the desire that God places in our hearts to push us into leadership. So a person who's called to lead loves Jesus, he loves the church, and he also loves the mission of the church. As we said, we're not just a random group of people, and our goal in coming together is not just to to see each other and say hi and do this worship thing that's just between us and God. He gave us a mission. And when Jesus created the church, he said, we are to go out, and here's his words, to make disciples. A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus. And making a disciple simply means helping others in any way we can to follow Jesus. And that can look like people who don't know Jesus at all. And and making a disciple or discipling them means teaching them and sharing the gospel and leading them to the place where they see and they trust in Jesus And they come to what we call a a saving knowledge of the gospel, a belief that transforms 
their lives that takes them from death to life, that's a form of discipling. But it can also look like people who trust in Jesus, who are a part of the church, but they also, all of us, need to know him more, need to follow him more. And everything we do to build each other and point each other in the direction of God is discipleship. And the mission of this church, and really it's the mission of every church, but Trailhead specifically, the mission of our church is to make disciples, to lead others to know and to more deeply follow Jesus, to be overwhelmed by his grace and his goodness, and to see it transform their lives. And if you love that mission, if you believe that there's nothing better in the world than you can do than that, then it is very possible that God is calling you to lead. Because even if he's not calling you to lead, when you love that mission, you're going to go all in for it. You're going to do everything you know that you can do to help further that mission. You're going to look at yourself and say, I I don't know, I don't see a lot of gifts. I don't see a lot of abilities, but whatever I can be used for, I'm willing because I love the mission of this church. Look, if all of this is true, if the gospel of Jesus is true, if Jesus really did live and die and rise again, and if that's the story of the entire world, if all of of humanity is the story of God's pursuing love for a people who he's called out to be his own, if that's true, If that is true, then there is nothing, nothing else in the entire world that is more worth living for. And here's what's so amazing. In calling us to that mission, God doesn't need us. Do you recognize that? God is completely in control of everything. He could do what he needs to do in any way he chooses. He can make disciples on his own. God's not calling people to himself like, oh man, I wanted to call more people, but I just don't have enough time. I just don't have enough energy. I just need some helpers. Instead, God's invited us in so that we can share in the blessing, in the great joy of what it means to be on mission with him. This is a privilege. And there's no greater privilege than to be a part of God's mission on this earth. The call to eldership is a call to love. It's born out of love, and it leads to sacrifice because you love Jesus, because you love his church, and because you love the mission of his church. I was trying to think through how I could explain exactly what this looks like, and I don't don't have a great, like, perfect illustration, but I, I just kept thinking about an experience that I had is my personal story, and I just want to preface this up front by saying, I don't know that I'm going to tell this story all that well. Um, so if it doesn't make much sense, it's not your fault, it's me, okay? Um, but this is just to me, when I think about this and what it looks like to love the church, this is, this is the best I can explain it. About five years ago, almost six years ago now, uh, we first came, we moved to Illinois, <clears throat> um, specifically to come to Trailhead, because I had a goal. At that point in my life, I, I felt like God was leading me to, to start a church, to plant a new church. But I didn't really know how. Um, I didn't have any kind of experience with that. And I got hooked up through an organization called Converge with Steve, Steve Mizell, who's the lead pastor here. 
um, got hooked up with Steve and decided that it would be a great opportunity for us to come out here so that I could learn what it looks like to plan a church so I could get training and I could be equipped and then we could be sent out and we could start a church. So very much, here's what I'm trying to say, very much when I first came to Trailhead, it was because I had a, a goal. I had an agenda. There was something that I hoped and I thought Trailhead could give to me. And I'm not saying that totally negatively. That sounds really manipulative, and that's not what I'm saying. I mean, it was a, I believe it was a God-given desire to go out and plant a church, but I just saw Trailhead as a means to get to that end. And so we were here for two years, and we enjoyed it, and we liked the people, and it was, it was great uh, opportunity and, and a lot of growth that happened. Um, but then we were sent out. And some of you have heard my story before, and so I won't go into all the details, but that thing that we sent out to do, um, that, that church that we tried to plan, it didn't go so well. And it folded, and um, about a year and a half in, we just had to kind of to, to close the door on it. And then it was kind of like, okay, now what? And we're just kind of out there, right? Because it's like, well, that, that was our church. We had started it, and now it's gone. And we weren't like, well, we're done with church. I mean, it could have gone that way, but we, didn't, we weren't like mad at God or anything like that. So we were like, we want to be a part of a church, but what church should we be a part of? And of course, the, the obvious choice would be Trailhead, but it was kind of like, I don't know, because I mean, we were there, and to go back and to be like, now we're the people who failed, right? And like, oh yeah, I remember you. Weren't you gone? And they're like, I'm back, you know. So we were like, I don't know. And so we thought maybe we'll go to another church in the area or something like that, but then we kept praying about it. And the more we thought about it and the more we prayed about it, we just kept coming back to the idea that, and, and more than anything, I'll be honest, more than anything, it was, it was Steve and Lauren and the way they had walked with us through that process and through that time of, of our church plant failing and other elders in the church and, and other friends, that because we, we still had some friends here, and, um, and other friends and, and how they had walked with us. And it was like, it would feel almost wrong to go anywhere else. So we came back to Trailhead. And something happened. And I can't exactly define it. And the best way I can illustrate it is to say this. For like the first, I don't know, two or three months that we were back, every single Sunday, we'd sit through the service, and we'd come to the end, and we do communion, and there was always a song after communion. And during that song, after communion, I can't even explain why. I would just start, every single week, I would just start to cry. And, and listen, I'm not, I'm not a super emotional guy, okay? Um, if you know me, I'm not, like, I don't cry very much. The only movie I've ever cried at was Cool Runnings, okay, that's it. Um, I'm just not expressive like that. Every single week, I'd just be sitting there with, tears all over my face. And they would end, the, the, the song would end, and Brian or Jeff or whoever would pray and say, go in grace, and everybody would get up and start walking away, and I'd just be there. I'd, be, I'd feel like frozen, like, wait, no, I don't, I don't want to go. I just want to be here right now. <clears throat> Multiple times, Joni, my wife, looked at me and was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. But I, on the inside, I just, there was just this, and all I can say, all I can describe it as is I just was falling in love with this church. With Jesus, with his grace, with, in my most, my most public failure in my life, 
and feeling like everybody should have, could have and should have been looking at me and just shaking their heads and just feeling instead his love and his mercy and an affirmation that can only come through the gospel and feeling the presence of that good news and that grace in this group and these people. I just fell in love. And I just said, I don't know what it looks like, and I don't know what it's going to require, but I want to do everything I can do for other people to feel the way I am feeling now. To experience the love of God in the way I am experiencing the love of God right now. To know grace in their lives the way I am understanding grace in my own life. If there's anything I can do for that. I am so in right now. If you've fallen madly in love with Jesus, if you have fallen in love with Trailhead, not the building, not the services, but the people here, if you have felt the presence of God in this place and in these people, You won't ask, can I have a position? Can I have a title? You'll just want to serve. You'll just want to sacrifice. Look, leadership, and in the church especially, leadership is not about having a platform. It's not about gaining esteem, respect. It's not about doing big things. Leading in the church is about having a heart that is so wrecked by the gospel of grace. You cannot imagine giving the best of yourself for anything else. Let's pray. We'll take some time to reflect, and then we're going to share communion together. God, I love you. God, we say that so easily, but God, it's, it's true. Because your love for me, your love for us, is so overwhelming. God, I can't imagine doing anything else with my life but trying with every ounce of my being to lead others to know your love, to see the goodness of your grace, to have their eyes opened to the beauty and the wonder and the awe and the majesty of who you are and all that you have done. God, my prayer this morning, first is that every single person in this room would know you, would see you, would trust in the goodness of what you have done. God, I pray that you would work, work in our hearts. Give us a deep love for you, for your church, for your mission. A love that leads us to sacrifice. Call out leaders, please, from among our church. But more, much more, 
God, call out sacrificial servants who will follow you whatever you ask. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen.